0: When I was a kid, I wanted to be an inventor when I grew up. Uh, Now, I am a career teacher and soon-to-be graduate student.
1: Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do? A podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Jotham Sedan. Jotham has taught over a thousand students, performed music in front of crowds of over a hundred people, and bungee jumped off of one of the tallest bridges in Japan. But what you might not have guessed is that he also suffered from anxiety so intense that he wasn't able to eat, sleep, or leave his house for weeks. After his diagnosis with panic disorder and generalized anxiety disorder, he committed to learning as much as he could about his condition by reading all of the books and research he could get his hands on. Over the course of his recovery, he recorded his findings in the form of a book that provides a simple, straightforward model of anxiety and its treatment. That book is called The Anxiety Encyclopedia, and it's now available on Amazon and wherever good books are sold. Welcome to the pod, Jotham. Thank you so much,
0: man. It's great to be here.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to have you. And this was a positive start, but I'm going to have you start by circling back to kind of a tense moment for you. you. You mentioned in your book there was a tipping point you had that kind of launched this entire journey of yours. And that was on Tuesday, April 25th, 2017, around 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. What, what was your experience leading up to that moment and what was it about that moment that was a tipping point for you to jumpstart your research into anxiety and and figuring out a path to recovery?
0: Yeah, wow, that's a fantastic question. So in the weeks leading up to that day, it was for some background, that day was I believe the Tuesday of my last week of university. I was a senior in college and 10 in the morning, I remember I was in a, a chemistry class And I wasn't set to give any sort of presentations. It wasn't going to be a stressful day. But in the weeks leading up to that moment, I had been having panic attacks. And, you know, I read a little bit on the internet about why panic attacks happen, and there were some vague definitions about stress and you know how that can impact the panic process and you know i began to think maybe i'm just a little bit stressed maybe i'm not meditating enough maybe i'm not taking enough breaks and it sort of culminated in that moment it was 10 in the morning i woke up feeling really off like energized but in a really uncomfortable way and i entered that chemistry class my job was just to sit and listen so it wasn't as if i had to do anything pressing or stressful or anxiety inducing but still five minutes into the class, I started feeling a panic attack coming on, and I really couldn't discern the reason. And not knowing what else to do, I talked to my professor. I told him, I have to get out of here. I have to go to the student health center. I don't know what else to do. And understanding why that moment happened kind of took years of research. And it's something that I only understand in retrospect. But. That was the moment that my anxiety kind of exploded from being just a manageable side problem to something that consumed my entire life and that was the moment that my life turned from just like a normal everyday college student with anxiety issues as everyone has these days into someone whose sole problem in life like the only the most pressing issue was anxiety and everything else was secondary in that moment, I started having these rapidly spiraling thoughts and nausea so intense that I was dry heaving. My heart rate was well above like 160, 170, far higher than what you would see in you know a typical round of exercise, for example. I was super short of breath. I felt like I, I couldn't catch my breath. And I went to the student health center and... They were giving me really vague information like, you know, this is happening because you're stressed. Just try to sit up straight and eat right and maybe meditate a little bit more. And I was trying to tell them that I had done all of these things to no avail. But, you know, they said they were kind of at a loss of what to do. And that was when I decided that, well, if no one, neither my doctors nor my eventual psychologists and psychiatrists, if they couldn't provide me an answer, then I would have to start digging one up myself. And I think that's where things really began.
1: At that point, you went off and started doing your own research on a topic, anxiety, that there is so much information out there online. What was your research process and how did you distill all this information into your book? I can see how it could have been really overwhelming. And you mentioned, you know, how you how over the course of your research, you look up your symptoms and that's the worst thing somebody can do. So really, you should be going to a doctor if, if you're listening and thinking, like, do I have anxiety not going on WebMD, for example? You know, there's so much out there. How did you how did you decide, OK, this is something that's worthy of being in my book? This is important. Let me look into this or this is a dead end. How, how did you go about your research process and distill it into the anxiety encyclopedia?
0: That's another really wonderful question. I think to answer that, there's another person who was really influential in the field of mental health. I don't recall her name in particular. But she was most active around like the 1950s, 1960s, and she spearheaded research into what we now know as bipolar disorder. And the way that she sort of sifted through information and treatments and learned what worked and what didn't and what information was important and what wasn't was by kind of using herself as a test subject. So, you know, she would be prescribed the treatment, and she herself would know exactly whether it worked or not, and she would be able to give a good reason to why. And I think my journey kind of followed the same process. You know, I was prescribed certain treatments by psychologists and psychiatrists, and certain ones worked, and certain ones made things worse. And when doing research that made it a lot easier to filter through what advice was valid and what wasn't and so every time i found something that worked i would really dig deeper and say hey why in particular did this work and if there wasn't a good reason out there i tried to research everything around that topic and formulate a reason
1: Mm. and over the course of your research what were some of the biggest revelations you came across
0: so there were a couple i think probably the most impactful one that took a lot of digging and really the research around this topic in particular is still in its infancy but there are some really promising studies out there that discuss this it's the idea that the physical symptoms that we feel from anxiety aren't externally motivated most of the time By which I mean, a lot of the old view of anxiety was that it's an entirely subconscious or unconscious process. We see something or hear something in our environment, and it stimulates a part of the limbic system that causes our body to create adrenaline, and that's a process that we have really no control or no ability to influence but more recent research into anxiety is showing that this process isn't actually the dominant one when it comes to anxiety and adrenaline production rather there are certain behaviors that we undertake that motivate our body to create adrenaline but it's not behaviors that we would typically think of it's not physical behaviors like choosing to leave the house or choosing to eat a certain food Rather it's mental behaviors. And these behaviors are things that we've known about for years, but we haven't until recently pinpointed them as important. When it comes to rumination and depression, we used to think that both of them were underlying symptoms of a greater problem, but more recent research is starting to show that rumination, that's the act of spending a lot of time thinking about something negative or thinking negatively, is actually what causes depressive symptoms and in terms of anxiety there is an analogous behavior one that causes anxious symptoms and that is worrying so in short whenever we worry it causes our body to produce anxious symptoms does that make sense
1: that makes sense now that we've laid out the groundwork for the book i want to go back to something you mentioned a moment ago which is you said it in passing Mm -hmm. which was everybody has anxiety these days Mm -hmm. And I think that's an attitude that is fairly new, because I can tell you, for example, coming from Iranian Jewish immigrant parents who raised me pretty conservatively, their understanding of anxiety, their understanding of, for example, the effectiveness of meditation, is very different than my understanding. And I think people our age, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you too are also the son of immigrants, absolutely. Is that right? Okay. So, Middle Eastern immigrants Mm -hmm. too, right? Okay, great. So how have you found success, if at all, Mm -hmm. in conveying to your family, to your friends, how have you found success in saying like, hey, I know this is not how anxiety was talked about for the five, six, seven decades that you've been around, but this is actually like how it's being talked about now. There's science to back it up. This is what I'm going through. It's not a matter of just I'm not eating well enough or I'm not meditating correctly. How do you, how do you make this bridge? Cause I think, you know, that's something that I've found is important is like, I want my parents to understand like meditation for me is very effective. And if I say, Hey, I'll be there in 20 minutes, just give me a sec to meditate. That's not something i should be you know not that they do this but it's not something i should be made fun of for it's just like okay cool like it's it's like if i told you i was finishing up a workout you wouldn't be like you're lifting weights you know (laughs) (laughs) so so how have you found success if at all in, in conveying i guess newer attitudes newer thoughts and findings on anxiety to a generation before us who might not have had the same ones
0: another really good question Uh, I think you partially answered it yourself when you said, when you talk about the, the science behind it, I think a lot of helping people change their attitudes about a subject is looking at what misconceptions of theirs stand in the way of change and bringing in these scientific findings to help them more deeply understand what we know about the subject that's different from when they were growing up what what they knew. And so uh, for example, I would say a lot of my family was of the mind that anxious symptoms, even things like nausea and rapid heart rate and things like that were imagined symptoms. It's not that they were actually going on in the body, but everything was, you know, in my head for example. And one of the ways that I worked with them to understand more what was going on with me was showing them that, you know, hey, Now that we have more research on the subject, here's this paper or here's this diagram or here's this author who talks about how these symptoms are very much physical and they're hormonally motivated. So these are actual physical problems going on in the body. And I think I was a bit uh, lucky in that my parents were kind of willing to meet me halfway, but I think that was probably the, the biggest thing. But also I think there's an element of patience and understanding, knowing that people aren't going to change their minds immediately and learning to let them have their own opinions, but still trying to you know, gently nudge them in a different direction.
1: Yeah, definitely, that makes sense. I wanna to touch on a couple more things before we go into rapid fire. Mm-hmm. First of all, I really, really actually liked what you had said about visualization, which I'll tease it and then I'll throw it to you to elaborate. A lot of times, I think when people are taught to visualize their goals, visualize achieving their goals, we think of the best case scenario. So for example, I'm gonna run the marathon, I'm going to bust through the finish line, smiling, all my friends and family are gonna be there waiting for me, cheering me on. And I like how you put it, because like so many things in life, it's not a matter of, let's say a letter grade, it's more of a pass fail. So it's actually more effective to just imagine yourself doing the thing, you know? Just imagine you're gonna be running, you're probably gonna have pain in your knees and your calves by the time you're close to the finish line. But you're going to pass through the finish line. You're going to achieve it. You're going to pass through it. And everything else is kind of a bonus. And I thought that was really cool because so many times in visualization, we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice because we're setting high expectations. So that's setting ourselves up for disappointment. And we're not being realistic. We're not acknowledging the adversity that is going to pop up along the way or the realistic circumstances of whatever goal we're trying to achieve. So... I'd love to turn it over to you and kind of parse through that and how you have found, I guess we'll call it realistic visualization effective.
0: Yeah, I think much like the rest of the book, a lot of it was motivated by my own experience with visualization. And again, like you said, being told to kind of Visualize myself up on stage giving a speech and my whole audience laser focused on what I was saying when in reality There's not a single person in the world who could give a speech like that and I as well as I think a lot of people Especially people who have really intense experiences with anxiety and depression We find it difficult to even imagine a world where we make it through So asking ourselves to imagine like these really high expectations where we pass with flying colors, it feels like an exercise in futility. But I think if we look back at the majority of our experiences, we have passed, we have survived, we've made it through. And I think when we remind ourselves of that, it really helps to soften the blow of any of the damage that comes along the way. And it makes it easier not to worry about, you know, massively failing.
1: 100%. I've tried this. This is a very silly example, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to offer it as proof that it's worked for me. (laughs) Sure. Which is, let's say I'm going to be playing a tennis match with a friend. Ahead of time, I've started visualizing the match and how it'll go. And I want to be successful, but as part of my road to success, I imagine My opponent is going to hit a shot that is just so good I might not be able to get to it. He's going to win a few points. That's okay. My ultimate goal of winning the match can still be intact while acknowledging the realistic possibility that I'm not going to win every single point. My opponent is going to score occasionally. They're going to hit some nice winners or I'm going to hit a backhand into the net every once in a while. And that's okay. It's about moving on, thinking about the next point and the ultimate goal, zooming out. So, very silly example, but I wanted to offer it as proof. Yeah. And... Yeah. The last thing I I want to touch on as well, because I think it's something that touches all of Mm. us, is caffeine, alcohol, and social media. Yep. These things are... Okay. At certain points, probably not great to have too much of like anything, but mm. caffeine and alcohol, especially you, you talk about how they have a very real physical effect and correlation to anxiety. Yeah. I think we're all familiar with how social media makes us feel, but I loved how you pointed out. Yeah, sure. You, you might see posts that make you feel good, but how long did they actually make you feel good? For the right. most part, it's pretty negative or neutral things. Yeah. And your suggestion is use social media as an opportunity to connect. So if you want to DM somebody who you admire. Great. Go, go ahead, do that. But to actually scroll through and look at all these posts, not so great. Right. Talk us through that trifecta of caffeine, alcohol, and social media and what your big findings were.
0: Sure. So when it comes to caffeine, what we see is that the biological processes that happen when you ingest coffee actually have a lot of overlap with the anxiety process. So when your body makes adrenaline, the primary hormone involved in anxiety, it constricts your blood vessels. It causes blood to more quickly get pumped to the organs. Caffeine does the exact same thing. If you drink caffeine and you're feeling anxious at the same time, it has this sort of synergistic effect where if your heart is beating quickly, it will beat even faster. If you're short of breath, caffeine will make you even shorter of breath. Mm. And that's why drinking caffeine while you're feeling anxious is such a dangerous combination. And I think everyone has kind of felt that before. The effects of alcohol aren't immediate. Usually they happen the day after. Uh, And that's because alcohol, both alcohol and caffeine actually are diuretics, which means they cause you to expel more liquid from your body than usual.
1: That's science speak for they make you pee. They make you pee more, that's correct. (laughs) And
0: this can lead to dehydration. And same thing, when we look at the biological processes that our body undergoes during dehydration, it has a lot of overlap with the anxiety process. Our body releases vasopressin, our blood vessels constrict, blood goes more quickly to the heart and organs, and they pump faster. So if we're anxious and dehydrated, again, they work together to make us more anxious. And that's why caffeine and alcohol can be such a killer during an experience of high anxiety. When it comes to social media, I think it all goes back to that idea of worrying, right? When we see someone on social media who's hit a major milestone in their life that we wish we could be hitting or who just lost a bunch of weight or who just got married, we reflect that back on ourselves. We start to worry, well, why haven't I done that? Does that mean that I'm never going to do that? Does that mean that I'm behind in some sense? And that worrying is what causes us to be anxious. And the best way, the most effective way to cut off that worrying is just not to engage with that kind of content to begin with or find ways to more positively engage with it. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what you're saying is something that made me appreciate the value of exercise more. Because as you pointed out, that's a natural, healthy way to release adrenaline. And our body over the course of time, we're generating more adrenaline than ever before. So um, it made me appreciate exercise all the more. Okay, so we'll get into rapid fire questions now. Firstly... Mm It, do you have a favorite app on your phone? I I hate I hesitate to ask this as we just finished talking about social media and the anxieties <laughs> surrounding. But do you have a favorite app on your phone?
0: I do, and thankfully it's not social media. Uh, it's actually Audible, which Oh, great. Okay. Cool. Hopefully a sponsor, not
1: a sponsor. Not a sponsor yet, maybe one day. One okay, day. Okay, <laughs> fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one question I get a lot from people who have read my book or you know interacted with me on social media is I have answered my urge to worry through one of the therapies but it's really hard to focus on anything else like i really have this strong urge to worry and if i were at home you know i would gladly go play the drums or draw a picture or talk to a family member but right now i'm in public i'm in a waiting room i'm in public transit i'm in the car and i don't have something that i can really engage with to distract me from worrying and i think audiobooks and podcasts as well are really good for that. That's why I, I love Audible so much, is because when you're tempted to worry, you can quickly answer that urge and shift back to you know your favorite book, for example, mm, yeah. or your favorite podcast. And you know when I was recovering from my own anxiety disorder, Audible was my go-to. When I was in public, when I was on the train, and I was really feeling the need to worry, I was like, OK, hold on. I'm just going to bust open a book and really get involved in that, and everything's going to be fine.
1: I've had a similar experience at doctor's offices where I now always bring a book with me because I used to think, oh, my goodness, they're making me wait here so long. I'm going to miss my next thing. What am I going to do? And now I just bring my favorite book and I mind it a lot less because it's like, oh, okay, I, you know, unintentionally carved out this time to read in my day. Great. I'm going to enjoy this moment. I'm going to read. I'm not going to worry about how long they're taking. And life will be just fine. So I, I 100% endorse that, even if I'm more old school with the hard copy. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. And sure. Uh, who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? You know, I've been asked this
0: question once before, and it was in high school. And I'll never forget, a girl that kind of had a crush on me at the time said that I looked like a slightly more handsome, but also slightly more awkward Michael Sarah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> no, I don't know how to take that. But you know what? I will... Keep that as a memory. So I'll go with Michael Sarah. <laughs> All right.
1: Where's the place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit?
0: You know, so I lived in Japan for four years in my life. And while I was in Japan, I really wanted to visit Indonesia because, you know, they have some really beautiful nature and amazing diversity of food. Uh, but I never got the chance. So I think I would say Indonesia.
1: Very cool. Mm-hmm. And... What's a song you like to jam to right now? We have a Spotify playlist where we add each of our guest song recommendations. So if you'd like to contribute a song to our playlist that you're jamming to at the moment, what would it be?
0: Sure. Let me actually boot up my own Spotify. All right. It's a band named uh, Friday Pilots Club, I believe. Okay. And the name of the song is going to
1: be Problem. P-R-B-L-M. Okay. No vowels. Problem without the vowels. Absolutely. All right. Amazing. We'll add that. And lastly, where can people check out your work, keep up with you, plug all the things there is to plug? Awesome. So you
0: can find me on Instagram. I'm at Jotham Sadan. That's J-O-T-H-A-M-S-A-D-A-N. It's probably a bit easier if you find me on Facebook first. That's facebook.com slash the anxiety encyclopedia. And I'm also on Reddit, if that is your social media of choice. I'm reddit.com slash you slash sun through the storm, all spelled out.
1: Amazing. And if you're curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDPod. Jonathan, thank you so much, man. I feel, I feel like a lot, I have a better understanding of anxiety. I feel like I have a grip on things a lot better than I did before, thanks to you and your research. And I'm happy that you're doing much better and you have, you found a path to recovery that's worked for you.
0: Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure to be on this podcast.
1: Awesome. Thank you. I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for how do you do podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says how do you do podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says listen on Apple Podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews. And all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that. And I really, truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers. And I'll see you back here next week.